0: Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, how's everyone doing today? We are doing good? It's that season, so hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's So good to be uh, to be with you today, and those who are tuning in online. Uh, again, my name is Seth Fancy, I'm the Halifax pastor, and I want to welcome all of our campuses, Charlottetown and Halifax and West. And if you're online today, tuning in, it's it's a joy to have you here with us today. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump right in today. Matthew chapter one, Matthew chapter one, and uh, it's been it's a real honor to jump into this series that we've been doing for quite a long time. Over the last few weeks, we've really focused in on this idea of beholding Jesus, specifically uh, through the Christmas story that we find in the Gospels. A couple weeks ago, you remember, Pastor Brent, he spoke on beholding Jesus, God with us. Then last week, a tremendous message by Pastor Bradford. Would you agree? That was awesome last week. Pastor Bradford preached God above us. And today what I want to do is I want to take a a little bit of a different angle to the Christmas story. It's there in the text, and I want to kind of highlight this for us. But the title of my message today is simply, Behold Jesus, the Unexpected One. Behold Jesus, the Unexpected One. Now we sing that popular song, this popular hymn this time of year, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. But have you ever wondered what kind of Jesus you're expecting? That's what I wanna talk about today. And we're gonna look at it in Matthew chapter one. So let's look at this together. This is what Matthew's version of the birth of Jesus says. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Let's take a moment and just pray before we dive into the word today. Father, these are your words. Reveal yourself to us fresh today, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. A couple weeks ago, my kids opened their first Christmas gifts of 2021. By the way, those Christmas gifts come from you. So thank you, King's Church, for buying my kids' Some gifts. I was here for a day. Uh, they were here. I brought them home with me. But as you do when you arrive home at 1:15 in the morning, you throw everything at the door and you just go to bed. I forgot they were there. My kids wake up the next morning and they see them, and of course they want to open them. And as parents do, you use that as a moment to bribe them to have a good day at school. I said, you know what? Let's wait till the end of the day, and we'll decide then. Of course, they were good after the, after supper boy, were they ever excited to open their first gift of 2021. We get everybody together on the couch like you would Christmas morning. My daughter, oldest one, goes first. She opens it, and it's a poly Pocket. Man, she loves poly Pockets, adding those to her collections. We love those little things. There's like 50 pieces in one little Polly Pocket. You step on them, you vacuum them up. Thank you again, King's Church, for that. That was fantastic. <laughs> My, ne- my daughter, my youngest, she got, um, she opened this Minnie Mouse mix and match puzzle. She didn't really know what to do with it, but we figured it out. And then it got to my son, Jack. He opened his gift and to his surprise and excitement, it was Zuma from Paw Patrol. Yes, yes is right. Finally, the final piece to his collection, his lifelong collection, he's been collecting for three years Zuma was finally the one. Now he had all of them, that he could race around the house and just save those that are in need. All the Paw Patrol team was together, and so we were excited about it, and I was watching the kids play with their gifts, and I noticed Jack awfully somber and quiet, and I went over to him. I said, hey, buddy, Zuma, right? Oh, man, how awesome is that? He looked at me, looked up, and the most honest thing came out of his mouth. He said, Dad... I was expecting a train. And then he looks at me and he says, are there any more gifts coming? Really, we, we appreciate the gifts as a family. Thank you, church, for those. You ever had that experience before, the, that, that disappointment of unmet expectations where you got a Zuma and you were expecting a train? Have you ever had moments where you were looking for one thing and something else came. You see, you can miss things when you're in that headspace. Uh, I can miss things. You can miss things looking right in front of you if it doesn't look what you expect. My wife reminds me of this all the time. A couple weeks ago, she said, it's downstairs on top of the washer in the laundry room. I go downstairs and I promise you, it was not there. I did not see this thing. I come back upstairs, I'm hardly to the top of the stairs, and she whizzes down past me, comes back and she finds the thing. And I said, where did you find that? She said, in the laundry room above the washer, right where I told you. I promise you, that lady, she hides things on me. you know. Or it's that I went down expecting to see something in the laundry room and I looked right at it, but I didn't see it. And as I've been looking through the gospels this year, fresh and anew in the Christmas story, the narratives of the birth of Jesus, I'm kind of taken back by how many people miss him or almost miss him that they may have been expecting one thing and something else came. When you look at the reaction of the people, even the people that have some sort of inside track from divine angelic hosts who come and actually give a word to them, most of them are surprised, perplexed, shocked, afraid, startled. Even Mary in Luke's version says, not once but twice, that she takes all of this these things that are happening around her and in her. And the scripture says she pondered these things. That word ponder literally means to put the puzzle pieces together. She's thinking about what in the world is going on. And it's possible that maybe they were expecting one thing and something else came. And now it's hard for us to kind of see this in the story because when we get to this time of year, especially here in the West, I find Christmas to be, overly predictable. I mean, we got this season down on lockdown, on clockwork, and if you don't believe me, just go to Costco around Halloween time. You know what I'm talking about? Man, it amazes me here in the Maritimes. You can go get your Halloween candy and get your Christmas ornaments on the same day. Am I right? And then, and then Remembrance Day comes, and sometime after Remembrance Day, we get into hearing Christmas music on the radio, and it's the same songs every year. Same ones. And then we go and we get the tree, and the tree's always the same height because it's, the ceiling is always the same. And we go downstairs to that dusty old box, and it's the same ornaments that we place our ornaments on the tree while watching the same Hallmark Christmas movie starring Candace Cameron Bure. Am I right? I mean, this is so predictable. And then shopping is predictable. We already know what people want. My wife, again, two weeks ago, she asked me the same question as she does every single year. She goes, what can my mother get you this year? I said, dear, it's the same thing the last 15 years. Gift cards or cash? One of those two, you can't go wrong. Just give me the freedom to go buy what I want. It's the same thing over and over and over again. We come here, we light our candles, we go to our services and keep them short because we got parties afterwards, we got things to do. It just seems to me that Christmas in our context, and in our culture is just highly predictable. We know what we're getting when we get here. But just for a few minutes today, I want to suggest to you that this is not the case when you read the Gospels, particularly in Matthew. Now, Matthew is told from the perspective of the nation of Israel. It's the most Jewish of the Gospels. And so when we open up to it, we are stepping into this period of waiting and this anticipation and excitement of Israel as the advent of the Messiah is to come. They have been waiting, and let me just tell you, they have been waiting for a long, long time. Matthew chapter 1, and we didn't read it today, actually begins with a genealogy. Now, some of us, we read it or we don't read it. We skip by those names and say, what in the world is this for? But don't sleep on the names because the names are more than just names in the Bible. Names mean moments and stories and histories. Names that are in the scriptures are attached to promises and experiences. Names trigger memories Good or bad. And for Matthew's audience to read this list of names would come with a flood of emotions. You see people like Abraham and David. You see all of these sorts of people. And when they saw a name, it would trigger a memory or a story and not all the time was it that good or great. One name might reference one exile and another name might reference another exile. So when you come into this story, we are coming in with a people who have been tossed around the nations like ragdolls. One exile after another exile, they're war-torn and soul-torn under the threat of tyrants and oppressors and insecure control freaks, people like Caesar Augustus, as Pastor Bradford talked about last week. And the people are getting tired of it. And so they're primed for a Messiah. They're primed for a king. And then Matthew shows up in the scene. And let me just recall to you the very first part of the scripture we read, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ, the word Christ, in some translations, it says, now the birth of the Christ or the birth of the appointed one or the birth of the chosen one or the birth of the Messiah, now the birth of Jesus the Christ took place in this way. That's an interesting phrase. In this way. Why, why would you need to qualify this? Why? Here's my, here's my thought on this. It's Matthew is trying to say to them, it happened this way because in your mind, you believe it's coming another way. He's writing to a people who already have an expectation of the Messiah. They already have him pegged they already know what he's going to act like they already know what he's going to be like you see they were waiting for a king who would come from the outside with power and prestige and popularity he would come in and he would be larger than life he would be the center of attention why not you have been a people in slavery forever I mean, even the songs that these people sing are talking about this type of a king. We see this in Psalms. These are called the Messianic Psalms, Psalm 2. Now, I won't read all the psalm, but let me just give you a, a brief synopsis of each one. But Psalm 2 is really about an eternal king that will come and deal with the nations with a rod of iron. Or Psalm 72, it says, he will rule with righteousness. He will vindicate his people and he will crush the oppressor. Psalm one ten says he will bring judgment and shatter the kings. These, this is the type of king we are waiting for. This is the type of king that we want. We want someone who will come in strong and powerful and righteous and just just, bunch, just bust a bunch of people up. So when Matthew is writing this. Gospel, And he's telling us about the king or Jesus coming as the king. These are people who are expecting the Messiah to come in on a parade. But in Matthew, this is no parade. This is really a predicament. And what a predicament it is. I mean, one that we're familiar with in our own culture. This is a struggling marriage. Now, we don't even have the backstory to this marriage. We we, we don't know how they met. We don't know what their first date was like, how long they've been together. All we know is that we find this couple in a predicament, in a problem. On one side is the woman. Her name's Mary. We find out she's going around, finally telling a story that's starting to leak around to the people that she's pregnant before she's married, and she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then her husband, or soon-to-be husband, they're not even married yet. Joseph is considering these things, and the Bible says that he's considering divorcing her. Why would he want to divorce her? Here's why. He doesn't believe her story. And so he's caught in this kind of tense moment. Do I divorce, or do I go with this woman and risk looking delusional myself? I mean, my word, this is quite a problem. This is quite a predicament. And let me just say, I don't think this is the way I would want my king to come. And there are other places in the scripture I would think that a Messiah would come and it would be a whole lot better. It would make a whole lot more sense. For instance, Genesis chapter 3, that would be a great time for him to come. You know, remember when God is speaking to the serpent in the garden after the fall of man and, and, and God says to the serpent, he says, listen, this woman's seed, you guys are gonna be at war with one another. There's gonna be enmity between you two. And when he comes, he will crush your head and you will bruise his, his heel. Wouldn't it be great if he just, boom, baby comes and there's the Messiah. That's a better place if you ask me. Or how about Genesis 12 where God calls a man by the name of Abram to leave his country and he gives him a promise and he says to him, he says, out of your seed will come a nation and it will be a blessed nation and I will be their God and you will bless the nations. This is just a a, a huge moment. It would be awesome if, if, if out of Abraham there would have been the Messiah. But yet Matthew, the gospels give us a predicament a struggling marriage even. And have you ever thought maybe why also a baby in a manger of all types of people? I mean, I don't mean to sound crass, and I'm sorry to say this, but probably the most unintimidating creature on planet earth is a human baby. Am I right? They just sit there and look at you and cry and poop a lot. And keep you up at night. I mean, my goodness, a baby animal is more dangerous. (laughs) And so, can you see how this story seems so foolish and so messy and so out of place and so unexpected? Only if you are expecting something else to come. So, let me ask you again what kind of Jesus are you expecting? How often do we miss God in the midst of our own expectations? See, I'm convinced today that most of us, our problem is not with God himself. Our problem is often with our expectations of God. And I wanna suggest to you today as we go a little bit deeper into this text that the foolishness of the manger is what makes it so genius. Bonhoeffer said this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, God is in the manger. God is in the manger. This is really God. This is not some child on his way to becoming God. This is actually God. Frederick Buchner, the, the great Christian philosophist, once said this, he said, the one who created everything there is comes to us in diapers. It's almost like God is saying to you, I am coming, but I will not come the way you expect. You expect me to come bigger than life. You expect me to come outsmarting everyone. You expect me to come and just take the world by storm. I won't be bigger though. I won't be faster. I won't be smarter. I won't be more popular. I will not come to be the center of attention right away. What you're expecting from me is to be your superhero but I'm what I'm coming as is a servant. And let me just say superhero suffering servant. These are both ways of saving the world. Did you know that? These are both ways of getting stuff done in the world. These are both ways to make things happen in the world. One uses force and strength and vigilantism and and it's fast and it's quick. The other way, the servant way is, is quiet and humble and weak and slow. And yet when we read the birth of Jesus, it's telling us something really profound here that God actually prefers the second way. But my problem is in my own life is that I want God to come the first way. I'm addicted to Him coming to the first way. I want God to come in as a superhero. I just want Him to bust everyone up. I want Him to use force and power. I want Him to deal with the injustices of the world. I want Him to come and bring solutions to problems. And if you've been living on planet Earth the last two years, we have lots of problems. But what Matthew's saying here is that, no, God is trying to communicate something to us. This is not me. This is not who I am. Listen, God does not come to bring fast solutions to your problems. Instead, what, what the Christmas story tells us is that he comes and immerses himself in the problem and he works it out over time. For those of you who struggle with this image of Jesus, let me remind you again, he is not your savior today because he's not a superhero. He is your savior today because he's a suffering servant. Every one of us, when we come to the story, we have to come to grips with this Jesus who comes in on a manger, but then he'll also leave on a cross. We have to come to grips with a man in between the cross and the manger who will spend most of his time with the poor and prefer it that way. We all have to come to grips with Jesus who who is powerful and he heals people. But then as he heals people, he tells them, don't go tell anybody. Most of his life and most of what he does, he wants done in obscurity for some reason. This is a man who preaches messages with authority like no one else preaches. And then at the end of the message, we don't find him there taking selfies with the people or signing his books, but he slips away quietly. Quietly. We have to come to grips with a Jesus who finally does come into the center of attention of Jerusalem, but not on a horse, we are told, on a donkey. And I think what this text does is that it confronts a question for you and I as it confronts Joseph, Joseph who's struggling to make sense of everything that's going on. There's a question here that I think is important for all of us, and that's simply this can we make room for him to come? when he doesn't come the way you expect him to? Can you make room for him when he doesn't fulfill his plans according to your own image? Can you surrender your image of him and receive him as he comes to you as he is? You see, it's interesting to me here in this text that it says that Joseph is contemplating divorcing his wife. And I understand where that's coming from, but I think there's a deeper thing that's going on here with Joseph and God. I don't think he's here just divorcing his wife. I think he's actually about to divorce God's plan because it doesn't fit his expectation. It doesn't fit his mindset. How many of us go about divorcing God because he... We get caught up in the wrong expectation of him. Maybe because we were expecting someone else, but someone else came. This is why Matthew says to us, this is the birth of Jesus the Christ. It happened this way. He's an unexpected king. Will you make room for him to come? But it turns out that not only is he an unexpected king, But the kingdom he will establish is also an unexpected kingdom as well. We read the story again, and Joseph, as he's contemplating and considering these, these things about Mary, it says that he fell asleep. He went to sleep and he had a dream. And this angel comes, and the angel tells him, Listen, don't be afraid. Take this woman to be your wife. She will have the Messiah. And then, verse 22 this little add on here, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. And here's what it says Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why is this put here? This phrase from a prophet? By the way, this comes from the prophet Isaiah. This is the promise of the Messiah that would come. Now, what's interesting about this is that in this text, that word from Isaiah, that promise from Isaiah is actually 700 years old. Can you imagine that? You've been waiting for 700 years for God to move. Let me just, I, mean, I know some of you are like kind of looking at me kind of like, really? Like, how's that? Think about this for a moment. 700 years, let me put this into perspective for you. 700 years ago today is 1321. Like think about that for a moment. That's the same generation that the Ottoman Empire was founded. (laughs) That's the same generation that the bubonic plague hit the earth. You wanna talk about a pandemic. Look back in the 1300s. The printing press is still a 100 years from being invented. And this is the word that Isaiah has said, 700-year-old word. Here's my point that I want to make for us today. It's simply this. God needs room to work. He needs his space. He needs his time. And he will take his time. Time. God does not seem to appear to be in a hurry whatsoever. I mean, he is not like a revolutionary that feels compelled to just hurry something. He never uses force. He never has to use power. But if you really want God to transform something in your life, if you really want God to transform history, if you really want God to transform your society and culture, then you're going to have to be prepared to wait. Wait. It's the way of the kingdom. And the temptation I believe and the temptation I find myself caught in is that I try to go and fulfill the promises that only God can fill on my own because I'm impatient. I don't want to wait. I talked to a woman this past week at our campus in Halifax who Called me one morning out of the blue, and she was excited to talk to me about something. She says, I just want to share some good news for you. I said, Sure, what's going on? She said, You remember my brother in law? I said, Yeah, your brother in law, he's sick. Uh, you've been caring for him, and that's been your job, and I know it's been awesome. And she said, No, you, you won't understand this. She said, Seth, we've been praying for my sister and my brother in law for decades. And honestly, We didn't know how much, you know, there's nothing. There's no return. There's nothing happening in their life. And she said, you know what? This past week, my brother-in-law went down for an operation. They opened him up. They saw the cancer and they closed him back up and said, there's nothing left we can do for you. My sister calls me on the phone. We rushed down to the hospital and she says, can you pray for us? And they pray and they leave. Very subtle, Very quiet. 24 hours later, they get a phone call and her sister on the other line is weeping, not out of grief, but out of joy. The reason why is because her and her husband just gave their life to Jesus. And that was not days of praying, church. It's decades It's hard not to come into this story. And I know it's hard in our society that expects everything to be instant and everything to just make sense and everything to kind of fall in its place. But I think for many of us today, we are being called into a period of waiting like the people of Israel, even for Joseph and Mary. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says Joseph fell asleep. And I kind of caught this this past week, uh, but Joseph actually fell asleep in one room but he actually woke up in a different room. (laughs) Some of you are like, what? No, he didn't. No, when, when he fell asleep he was contemplating divorcing his wife. In his mind he was in he was in the judge's room. He was in his lawyer's office. But when he woke up he was no longer there. He went to be with his wife in the room she's in right now. And that is what I want to call the waiting room. 700 years you've waited for this promise, this word to come, Joseph. But when you wake up and you go to be with your wife, you're going to go join her in waiting a little bit longer. Because it's not happening yet. You still got nine months. You're going to wait a little bit longer. Wait a little bit longer. And I wonder if some of us today, if you're online as well, you're in the waiting room. Now, I'm not saying that God is gonna fulfill, it's gonna take 700 years to fulfill the promises over your life. But I think that what we're learning, and maybe in this season, what I'm learning is that God, the way he works out things is not always swift and fast but oftentimes it's slow and gradual and unexpected. And I don't know about you and your story, but maybe we can testify to the fact that when we have been given a promise, that sometimes after the promise comes, it seems like there's more obstacles than, than there were before. That the, that the path doesn't seem clear, that our perspective isn't clear, but God has said it to you. You remember, don't you? Maybe one day you were reading a scripture and, and you've read it a thousand times, but that time it popped out at you. And like, that was for you. And, and you, you began to hang on to that promise. You say, yes, Lord, I hear you in this and I trust you in this. Maybe it was in a sermon, maybe it was a Sunday service, you heard a sermon preached or a message preached and there was a word spoken and it just kind of leapt out into you and it leapt right off the lips of the pastor into your heart and it was this promise and you believed it, you believed this promise. But man, if we can just be honest, it's so hard some days to believe what the Lord has said will come to pass in our lives when it takes so long. For some of you, it's the promise of a job that you've been, God has told you, you're gonna get that someday. It still hasn't come. It's the promise of a family. You've been trying hard, it hasn't come. Some of you have been praying for decades for your child to make the right turn and to come back to God, and yet it has not come. It's hard to stay in the promise for a long time, even when you don't see much of a return. And if we can be honest today, you thought maybe God has forgotten his promise to me. You haven't forgotten. Maybe he has forgotten. Maybe today what I wanna encourage is the one out there today as we come to a close, I wanna encourage the one who's been standing in the promise for a long time. And you're still waiting. You're in the waiting room. And I wanna encourage someone today, if you're listening online, God has not forgotten you. Instead, I wanna to suggest to you that God is just arranging things for you. He's taking his time. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says this, and I love the statement. He says, you cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slow or even forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagined. (laughs) They always appear unexpected, shocking, perplexed. Listen, I know some of you are in the waiting room. You're hanging into the promise. And I wanna encourage you just to keep standing there. Keep standing. You know, one of the prayers I've been praying for two years to God, (laughs) I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still standing. Because let me tell you something, when it is not God's time to fulfill His purpose in your life, you can't force it. But when it is His time, you cannot stop it. And so I wanna encourage you today. Maybe stand with me today. I wanna pray for us and I wanna encourage you with a prayer today that in the midst of this Christmas story that God is at work in you, even when you don't see it, He's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working, he's moving. He's arranging things in your life. He has not forgotten you. He comes and he comes sometimes, not in our own expectations, but he comes. And when he comes, he will fulfill his promises to us. He's good, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, I wanna pray for the one who is standing in a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. God, as we come to the Christmas story, as we look at what is happening in the text, we see that this is not just some quick thing that took place 700 years. In fact, we are told by historians that it takes, there's 400 years of silence long before Jesus even comes, that you just kind of stop talking. And yet when you come, you come. And you transform and you change. And yet God, sometimes it's just so hard to leave room for you to work. We get our hands on things and we want things done and we force things, God. And I just pray in this season, uh, just a new level of trust, an unbroken trust to wait in the promise and to wait for God to come through and to trust that you will come through. I don't know what that is for someone. Someone out there today is praying for someone who has been wayward. I just wanna encourage you today to stand in the promise of God, to stand in the promise that that God sees them and he knows them and that he's going, he hears your prayer and he understands what he told you. He has not forgotten you. I wanna pray for the one out there today who may be struggling with just where they are in life, their identity, or even knowing what they should do with their life. Trust the promise of God. Stand resiliently, stand strong in the promise. He will come through, he will make a way. Even when it doesn't seem like there is a way, he will make a way, leave room for him, leave room for him to work, leave space for him. Because when it comes, man, we'll be glad we waited. We'll be glad we, we trusted we'll be glad we stood in the promise that long. So God, I just encourage those who are listening today, God, thank you for your word. We thank you for, we just thank you for the reality that you came, that you came as a baby. Like that's just so shocking, God. So unexpected in so many ways, God. But yet, oh my word, that is exactly what we needed. We needed you to come humble. We needed you to come weak. We needed you to come in a way that was not by force and by power. That's how other kings come, but this is not. This is a different type of king. This is an unexpected king because you're not coming to just bring solutions to a problem. You're coming to transform hearts. You're coming to actually, the, you come and, and you tell us what the real problem is. The problem isn't wars and, and, and fighting and famine. It's actually that the human heart is broken. There's a condition that we have that only you can save by coming to us humbly and weak and quiet and subversive in a predicament. So for those of us that see ourselves in a predicament or a problem today, let us know it's in those places that you meet us and that you work out your, your, your way in us. So God, we just trust you today over our lives and the ways that you work There are a myriad of stories that are being played out right now. My life is being played out one way. People in this room, their lives are being played out another way. People online, they're all being played out in so many ways. But God, thank you that you come and you meet us right where we are. So we make room for you to come. We leave room for you to work. Pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said.